Come all ye bold fishermen, listen to me While I sing you a song of the sea Then blow ye winds westerly, westerly blow We're bound to the southern, so steady we go Up jumped the blue fish, oh, hanging his tail He jumped up on deck, saying The 19th century was a period of unprecedented expansion, industrialization, and innovation for the United States. As the country industrialized and its frontiers closed, U.S. manufacturers looked outwards for both new markets for their goods and for additional resources. Asia and the Pacific represented one of the last untapped areas of the world that as of yet had not really been reached by the great colonial powers. And so, U.S. ships, both navy and commercial, turned to the region searching for new markets and new natural resources. It was this expansion that drove much of the polar exploration that was discussed last week in episode 29, as polar explorers hoped to find the fabled Northwest Passage, a route through the ice to the Asian continent halfway around the world. The U.S. Navy played an integral role both commercially and militarily in American expansion to the region. Naval leaders often negotiated commercial treaties with Asian powers, such as Commodore Matthew Perry did with Japan in 1854. Japan's own Pacific territorial expansion a few decades later, coupled with its newfound industrial and military might, would eventually put it on a collision course with its original trading partner, exploding into the Pacific conflict in World War II 80 years after the opening of Japan to U.S. trade. One little-known aspect of the war in the Pacific is how the U.S. came to acquire the various tiny atolls on and around which many of the famous naval battles raged. Our object today, a letter book belonging to the captain of the Civil War steam warship USS Saginaw, helps us understand how this occurred. One driver of early U.S. interest in the Pacific was the rather innocuous discovery of the fertilizing properties of guano, which is bat and seabird excrement, during the mid-19th century. This discovery resulted in the claiming of dozens of small Pacific islands as part of the United States through the Guano Islands Act, passed by the U.S. Congress in 1856. This act allowed U.S. citizens to take possession of uninhabited islands not under foreign jurisdiction in order to collect guano. Many of these islands remained, and continued to remain, in the possession of the U.S., long after their guano supplies were depleted. With the development of naval aviation and the outbreak of World War II in the Pacific, some of these tiny Pacific atolls were paved over with landing strips to act as resupply and relief stations during World War II. Midway Island, aptly named as it is approximately halfway between Asia and North America, is one of the islands claimed under the Guano Islands Act, and it would be the site of one of the most pivotal naval battles in history during World War II. The island was claimed under the Guano Islands Act in 1867, and an attempt was made to dredge its harbor and lagoon in order to develop the island as a coaling station. The USS Saginaw, recommissioned since the Civil War, 
was sent to Midway to aid in the work, which would ultimately, however, fail. Later on, the island would be used as a Pacific telegraph station and a Midway point for Pan-American flights before the outbreak of World War II. Upon conclusion of its mission, Saginaw stopped at nearby Curé Atoll to check for shipwrecked survivors, but ran aground on an outer reef. Stranded, the crew sent a small boat to Hawaii to seek help, led by 1866 Naval Academy graduate Lieutenant John Talbot. Although successful, four of the five crew, including Talbot, perished in the journey. The Navy would eventually name three ships after Talbot, the first of which, a torpedo boat, was briefly commanded by Chester Nimitz. Nimitz would go on to lead the U.S. Naval Forces at the Battle of Midway. Now, we go to Dr. Jennifer Bryan of the Naval Academy Archives for more on the Saginaw Letter Book. And we're in Special Collections and Archives to look at the letter book of Commander Montgomery Sickard, who was in command of the USS Saginaw. The Saginaw was doing survey work in Alaska and off the coast of Mexico, and it was dredging at Midway Island in the 1870s. In October of 1870, the ship approached Ocean Island, which is in the Pacific, to look for any shipwrecked sailors, because they had thought that there perhaps would be some there. But Saginaw struck the outlying reefs as it approached the island and was battered apart by the surf, but not before the crew managed to abandon ship and take refuge on the island. And you can actually see evidence in this letter book of the fact that it did get wet. We have damp staining and the evidence that at some time it had a little bit of mold on it. You can see that the back is completely missing. The covers, uh, it's in sad shape. You see the water stains here where the ink has faded. But they still managed to save this letter book off of the wreck of the ship. But of course, once they were on the island, how did they get anyone to get help so that they could get off? And so uh, Sickard decided to send Lieutenant John G. Talbot with a party of five men on the ship's gig to Hawaii for the purpose of securing a rescue ship. On December 19, 1870, the Saginaw's gig sank amidst breakers in Hawaii, killing four or five members of the party, and the sole survivor, Coxswain William Halford, succeeded in securing the services of the Hawaiian steamer Kilinea, which successfully rescued the remaining crew of the Saginaw in early January 1871. So it is an interesting artifact, both for what it tells us about the work of the Saginaw and the commander, his letters, but also a record of that ship's sinking, because actually in the very back is the account of the vessels breaking up and the rescue, uh, saving themselves on Ocean Island. But again, as you can see, it's very faded from the water. Was Helm's lead? Then blow ye winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady we go. Next came the mackerel with his striped back. He jumped on the bridge and yelled aboard the main tack. Then blow ye winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady we go. And up jumped the fishermen, stalwart and grim. 
And with his big net he scooped them all in Then blow ye winds westerly, westerly blow We're bound to the southern, so steady we go Blow ye winds westerly, westerly blow We're bound to the southern, so steady we go